I'll tell you why it's a better morning. Some of my favorite people that serve in mission, as missionaries across the whole world are with us today. I have known Steve and Jill McCarthy since they weren't married. In fact, Steve told me this morning he was in my kids' camp when I was the district youth director. I'm not sure how that is possible. I remember when he was a youth pastor in Glens Falls, and I went, and, and I think I had to stay with him the night in his apartment. And uh, I remember the way that he looked at a particular young lady in the church, and I said, you think she's pretty, don't you? No, absolutely not, he said. No, no. I said, Steve, I am not stupid. I see the way that you look at her. And he goes, I'm called into missions. I, you know, I've, I've got to keep my focus. Well, we all saw it coming, but you too. And... Uh, Later, she recognized that he'd been staring at her with eyes that uh, were longing, and the two of them have a phenomenal story. One of the things that I love most about these two, and I'm glad to be able to say this in front of their children, is that I've seen effective youth ministries at work within their lives that kept them faithful through their formative years. And the call that God had placed upon their lives when they were teenagers they remain faithful to that call. So when we talk about how important children's ministries and youth ministries are in this church, there are scars that they have avoided because of that faithfulness. And so would you give a warm welcome to Steve and Jill McCarthy as they come to share with us this morning and the rest of the family. Thank you so much, Pastor Doug. What a joy and delight to be here with you and, and the family. How many know you guys are blessed with some incredible pastors here? And for us, it's an honor to be here on such a special day when you get to recognize them and all. They, they have been so instrumental in our lives and to just watch you, your integrity, your character, the way you lead, it's been wonderful. So thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for everything that you've done as you said, in our formative years to the camps, the mission trips you've led, I think you might even share to my installation service when, when I was a youth pastor and all. And so thank you for that. We love you guys. We're, we're so, so amazed to be here. And, um, this is a special place for us too. When we left our church, the very first church that we visited when we started itinerating for missions was this church. And you guys welcomed us. You allowed us to share. I believe it was a Mother's Day service that, that, that we shared at there too. And just blessed us with our very first offering to go to the mission field. And so thank you for that. This is a very special place for us. Let me introduce my wife, Jill, to you. Um, we've been married nearly 16 years and uh, just enjoying life and ministry together. We got married, went on our honeymoon, and two days later went to interview to be missionaries. Yes, it was quick, and there were a few people that asked us what we were thinking. <laughs> but we knew since we were young people that we were called to ministry, and we thought, what better way to start our married life together than being obedient to what God had asked us to do? And uh, it's just been an amazing ride. Do you want to introduce our family to Sure. So since that time, like you said, I don't know how that time has passed. I don't know how 16 years has passed. doesn't seem possible. But um, since then, the Lord has blessed us with three kids that are our joy. They're such a blessing. They keep us on our toes as well. They're here to introduce themselves. Do you want to tell everyone your name? Lucas. Lucas. And how old are you, Lucas? Ten. Ten. And um, what's your favorite thing to do? Play soccer. Play soccer. So there's a little bit about Lucas. He's um, a great soccer player, just like Josh, too. They love it. It's uh, one of their favorite things. And then over here, you want to tell everyone your name? Josh. Josh. And how old are you, Josh? Seven. 
seven, and he has something cool to tell you guys as well. I was the only one born in Uruguay. Josh is the only one of our family who was born in Uruguay, so he has dual citizenship. So he has Uruguayan and American citizenship, so that's pretty special. <laughs> Lucas was born in New York during our first itineration. And then we actually have a little princess who joined our family as well. There's a picture of her. She's in the kids' class downstairs. That's Julia. She's three years old. She loves her brothers and wants to keep up with them. And um, we're having fun with all the little girl stuff, too. So we're just so thankful to the Lord for the family that he's blessed us with and the privilege to be in Uruguay. Um, we want to take this time right now, a few minutes to share some fun facts about Uruguay with you. I think the kids will especially like this part. And Lucas and Josh are going to help us answer the questions. So this is like true or false. Um, you can just raise your hand for whatever answer you think it is. So here it is. True or false. Uruguay won the first World Cup that was ever played. If you think it's true, raise your hand. There's a few hands. All right. Yeah, especially back in this area. Raise your hand if you think it's false. There's a lot of you who are not voting. <laughs> You're not sure. You're the maybes. All right. Lucas, tell us the answer. It's true. It's true. Those of you who raised your hand were true. Give yourselves a round of applause. They did. They won the first World Cup that was ever played in 1930. They won it again in 1950. They have high hopes of winning again coming up. We'll see what happens. I don't know. But um, speaking of soccer, we wanted to point out one of the really amazing things that BGMC does for us, especially because you guys are doing so amazing giving to BGMC. You don't even know how excited that makes us to hear the goals that you've said and the events that you're doing and the fundraisers. BGMC does a lot of different things, but one of the things for us in Uruguay specifically is BGMC buys special soccer balls. And these soccer balls have all different colors on them, red, black, yellow, uh, green, and white. And those colors actually tell the salvation story. So what we get to do is play a soccer game with the kids or sometimes adults. Everybody from the community comes out and plays. And then at halftime or at the end of the game, we get to do a gospel presentation. We get to tell them about Jesus using that very ball that they just played with. And it's an awesome way to get to know people and then be able to invite them to church. Or even we've even been able to build up some churches that way, start new ones just by starting with kids in a community in a soccer ball. So thank you, thank you, thank you for giving to BGMC. It really makes a difference. And it, the funds, it may seem far away, but those funds make it all the way to us in Uruguay and make a big difference. So we really appreciate that. Okay, question number two. We're going to move on to some food. True or false, rice and beans are the Uruguayans' most favorite food. Raise your hand if you think it's true. We've got quite a few hands. Raise your hand if you think it's false. Okay, we've got a, quite a few on that, too. Half and half, I would say. Joshi, do you want to tell us, true or false? False. False, yeah. <laughs> they might eat a little bit of rice and beans here and there, more rice than the beans, but actually their most favorite food is steak. Who likes a good steak dinner? Yeah. Who all wants to come to Uruguay now and visit us? <laughs> Yeah, they actually have like eight cows for every one person in Uruguay. Beef is their big industry, and they make amazing barbecues. Um, so it's, it's really yummy. It's pretty good. <laughs> okay, final question. 
99% of the people in Uruguay are Catholic. Raise your hands if you think it's true. We've got some hands. All right, raise your hand if you think it's false. We've got both sides again. You guys are good. Okay, Lucas is going to help us. Is that true or false, Lou? False. It's false. May surprise some of you. Um, it's a little bit different. A lot of Latin American countries really do have a high number of Catholic people. But um, in Uruguay, more than half of the people are actually either atheist or agnostic. So those are bigger words that basically mean they don't believe in God or they don't care. They're just not interested. And so that's kind of unique. That's one of the things that we pray about for Uruguay. So you can join with us and pray. And thankfully, we have seen God doing an amazing thing. And people coming to churches. We see those numbers changing. And we're just so excited that we have the privilege to be there to tell people about Jesus. Because we know he's the good news, right? Amen. All right. Give yourselves a round of applause. You did great. I think you knew more about Uruguay than you realized. <laughs> We have a little video. We have a little video we're going to show. Um, you can check it out and see what Uruguay looks like, see what some of the new churches look like, and then Steve will share with you after. Thanks again. We love you guys. Send me out to the world to make you know. Send me Isn't God good? You know what the best thing about that video? Those are new believers who have come to know Christ during our time there. Those are new churches with the privilege of playing. And those are their very first sanctuaries that they've ever had that have been built in the last few years. And so thank you so much for helping make that a reality. Through your prayers, your generosity, your love and encouragement, we have the opportunity to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ with the people of Uruguay. And one of the amazing things you helped us do, you helped us build the very first church 
in the Hope for Uruguay 100 project. And so a few years ago, we launched this initiative called Hope for Uruguay 100. Um, we are so excited to, to help build the very first churches for these new congregations that we are planting. And, uh, and to date, 35 new churches have been planted and 22 sanctuaries have been built. And so our dream is to see 100 new churches established in the least reached parts of the country and then build 100 sanctuaries for, for these new congregations. But as I said, you guys were part of the very first one. And so we wanted to say thank you. Um, we have a little gift for, for Pastor Doug, if you want to come up here. Um, on behalf of that congregation, just to say thank you for your generosity and investing so they had their first place where they could meet. They've been two and a half years under a tent. And then it was time to get into a building. So this is a little piece of amethyst. Um, amethyst is really common in Uruguay. And one day we'll have it in, in the New Jerusalem as well, too. So a uh, beautiful stone that we have in our country. So hopefully when you see it, you'll remember the people of Uruguay and that wonderful church that you bless. So thank you. Thank you. How many know prayer is a powerful thing? It changes situations, it opens up doors, it does incredible things, not only in the spiritual realm, but right here in our physical realm as well. On your way out, you see a little table that Pastor Vincent kind of lost to put out some prayer cards on. Would you grab one of these on your way out and put it someplace where you see it often and remember us and the people of your way in your prayers? We would really appreciate that. And I couldn't help but notice the great missions board you have out there with the names and the locations of the missionaries and ministries that you support. On behalf of them, let me just say thank you. It's because of your prayers, your generosity, your encouragement that we get to go and we get to see the lives that are changed. Hopefully, we'll be able to share a few of those stories with you today. But one day in heaven, you'll actually get to meet these people. And they'll come up to you and say thank you. Thank you for the sacrifices that you made so that they got to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, this morning, I want to share a, a little message with you from 1 Kings. I've entitled it, God in the Highly unexpected. And we're going to talk a little story about someone unexpected who goes to an unexpected place, but whose obedience produces an entirely unexpected and supernatural result. First Kings 17 tells the story of Elijah. And one day he struts into the palace of the king, the king named Ahab, and he announces to him, it's not going to rain for the next three years. How many of you got to be almost crazy to do something like that? To go in and make an announcement to the king. And this one just thinking, he was horrible, he was terrible, he was a wicked king. In fact, the Bible says he did more evil than any king before him. Now, if you think he was bad, I think his wife, Queen Jezebel, was even worse. She was wicked, she was manipulative, she would turn the hearts of the people from worshiping God to worshiping Baal, and even killed someone over a piece of property. So we're talking about a very difficult situation in which the country found itself. And as a result of that idolatry and sin, Elijah walks in and he announces, it's not going to rain for the next three years. And then he leaves. He goes to Kareth Ravine. He drinks water from a brook. God miraculously provides food for him, bread and meat each and every day through ravens. And uh, as you can imagine, some months, a couple years maybe, no rain. Eventually the brook dries up. And that's where our story picks up. First Kings 17, I'll begin reading in verse 8. The word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, And bring me, uh, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. 
I'm sure this Lord your God lives you, but I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar, a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said, don't be afraid. Go home, do as you have said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have. Bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away, did as Elijah had told her. And there was food every day for Elijah, for the woman, and for her family. What an incredible story. But what I think I love most about this is that there was a woman in a desperate and a hopeless situation. And at just that moment, someone comes to tell her that there was a God in Israel. A God who loved her. A God who cares about her. A God who had a plan and a purpose for her. As I shared, she was living in a very difficult time. Leadership was corrupt. There was iniquity, injustice, idolatry, sin. Not too different from the world in which we live today. And yet, in spite of this, I love how God chooses an unexpected person. And he sends Elijah to this woman. God tells Elijah, he says, go to a place called Zarephath. There's a widow that is there. And Zarephath was the birthplace of Queen Jezebel. It's a word that means smelting or a place of testing. And this unexpected place that the Lord sends Elijah to isn't just Jezebel's hometown, but it's actually the epicenter of Baal worship in the country. God could have chosen to send Elijah anywhere for his needs to be provided for, and yet he chooses this dark and this desperate place. You say, how bad could Baal worship really be? Well, in addition to the prostitution that occurred there at the spot, they would also have um, um, child sacrifice that they did. And this was horrible. It was terrible. And Elijah gets sent to this place. He could have been sent to the land of God fears, a place where they had lots of churches and believers, and yet he was sent to the difficult and the darkest place of his nation. I remember when Jill and I, we were first arriving in Uruguay, and we had heard some of the challenges there. In fact, uh, before we went, they sat us down, they opened up this map, and they said, you see this country right here, Uruguay, it sits in South America, right next to Argentina, just below Brazil. And they said, it's a very difficult country. From the north of Canada to the tip of Argentina, Uruguay is the least reached country in all the Americas. They said, it's very secular, very liberal, um, a lot of atheism there. And we've actually named it the Graveyard of Latin America Missions. And I remember as we heard these things, we, we, we kind of knew it in our heads. But when we first arrived in Uruguay and we actually saw the need there, when we first arrived, we saw what a spiritual desert was and how hard the people were. I began to think of Elijah. I wondered if he was uncomfortable, as uncomfortable going to Zarephath as maybe we were in our early days in the nation of Uruguay. But yet, God chooses sometimes to move us out of our comfort zone. Unexpected people. And then he sends us to these unexpected places because there's some lost people there. They're in hopeless situations and desperate to know that there's a God that loves and cares about him. Reminds me of a guy named Mauricio. He was uh, living on the streets. He's part of the occult. And one day through an open window, he hears a message on the Christian radio. He didn't quite understand everything, but he knew he wanted to know more about this guy named Jesus. And so he gets up, he walks down the street, he goes in the first church he can find, and he asks the pastor to tell him about Jesus. Three years later, I'm at this church preaching. Mauricio comes to the altar at the end of the service. He says to me, he said, while you're speaking, God told me I needed to plant a church. 
And so we talked to his pastor, he gave us his blessing, and a church was planted in that community with him during COVID. As we often do with these new church planters, we walk through a process with them. It's a year-long one of training and mentorship, and I help them to launch these, these new churches. And then we challenge the new congregation that if they'll buy their first property, we'll come alongside and help them to build and so they got so excited about that that they would have a church building. They bought this property we went and built. They were church number nine in the Hope for Uruguay 100 project. And if Mauricio were here today, he'd probably tell us this. I'm an unexpected person serving in an unexpected place. Yet through his faithfulness and his obedience, lives are being changed in the community of Covena. Another person living in darkness was Sergio living on the streets, consumed by drugs. And uh, he shows up at church one day. Actually, he, was, he didn't show up. He was just walking by the church. It was a warm summer day. The windows were open. And he heard the pastor speaking about the Holy Spirit that day. And something uh, he said intrigued him. So he came up. He didn't even walk in the doors. He just kind of leaned up on the windowsill and poked his head in the church. And he didn't know. Never been in church before. Didn't understand. You don't talk to the pastor when they're preaching, right? So he says, excuse me, sir. Who's this Holy Spirit you're talking about? And uh, he goes, I've invited every other spirit I've ever heard of to live inside me. I've never heard of the Holy Spirit before. So the pastor says, come in, I'll tell you all about him. And that was the day he gave his life to Christ, and God set him free in a powerful way. Came to the Bible school that we teach at, and pastors one of the churches, and they were church number 13 that we built in the Hope for Uruguay 100 project. If you were here today, he's telling us the same thing. I'm an unexpected person in an unexpected place, and yet through his faithfulness and obedience, a community of pondos being transformed today. Isn't it cool that God chooses unexpected people? And that God wants to use even you and I to go to unexpected places because there's lives and people there that are waiting for the good news. One of the churches that we planted many years ago when we, when we first got to Uruguay, they are actually starting some outreaches to plant their own church now. And so the pastor called me and he said, Steve, you, you've done a lot of sports outreaches that are our initial outreach into the communities when we plan a new church. He said, would you come and help us in this new community? And so we said, sure. And so we went, we started doing some things on Saturday mornings for them. This particular day, we were ending our time with the kids. And not only do we teach them soccer and play that with them, but we also connected with a story from the Bible. We sing a song with them. We pray with them. And we were just getting to the point where some of the kids were starting to respond to raise their hand. And this man runs onto the field all upset. What we didn't know at the time was that Juan was the local witch doctor for that community. And he was so agitated in the spirit because of the decision that these kids were going to make to give their lives to Christ. He comes on the field, he starts to yell, and the power of God hits him. He falls to his knees. He yells out, your God is more powerful than mine, and I want to serve him. That was the day that Juan gave his life to Christ. Next day, he shows up at church, brought his ritual robes, his books, incantations, and spells, burned them all that day, and God set him free in a powerful way. Later, he was baptized, and when they had their first child, they named him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isn't it cool that God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son? And then he calls us and asks us to go as well and to share his good news with lost and broken people. The question is this, are we willing? Are we willing to step outside of our comfort zone? Are we willing to say yes to God's plan and purpose for our lives? Are we willing to be obedient, to give, to pray, to encourage, and to go so that someone else can find his same love and his grace and his forgiveness?
Marcella and Cecilia were. They lived in northern Uruguay one day sitting at church. They just sensed that God wanted them to plant a church. They heard about a community 100 kilometers away that had no church. It never had a Catholic church, never had a Protestant church, no evangelical, nothing there. And so they decided that they're going to leave their jobs as teachers. They were going to sell their house and move with their three children to this community to plant a church. And I think the reality of what they had done set in, set in once they arrived there, because that's when I got the call from Marcella. He said, Steve, we need some help. We don't know what we're doing. And so as we often do, like I said, we walk through this. It's a year-long process, 12, 12 steps to help them plant a healthy church in that community. And so we began to work with them. And he said, Steve, can, you, can we do an outreach? We want to do a soccer outreach, sir. Well, instead of kids, we want to start with the men of the community. So we ran a soccer tournament. At the end of it, we finished up with this asado. It's an outdoor barbecue that we did with them. It's, it's just one, all the meats that, that we have down there and the chorizo sausage. We even take this, this provolone cheese melted over with a little bit of oregano and it's just, 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 just wonderful, you know? So. In fact, the teams that come to Uruguay always complain because they gain weight. They so say, we've never gained weight on a missions trip before, but, um, so we, we, we had this wonderful side. And at the end, we, shared the gospel message with these men. A number of them responded, gave their lives to Christ. And when we launched the home groups and then started the Sunday morning services, they brought their families and they were the first ones to be, be part of this new congregation. They got excited too when they heard that we would come alongside and help them build if they had a piece of property. So they, they bought their first property, this corner lot, beautiful location there in the city because they said, we want the very first church ever in this community to be seen by the congregation. And we went and we built, they were church number four in the Hope for Uruguay 100 project. Everything seemed to be going well for the next six months. The church was growing. Things were happening in that community until one day I get a call from Cecilia. She says, something happened with Marcelo. They just rushed him to the hospital, and a week later, he died. I still remember the call. This broken-hearted mom, and she said, why would God have us leave our jobs and our church and our city and move to a new place just for this to happen? And so we walked through the process with her, and she came to the realization that God hadn't just called her husband, but had called her whole family. And she said, I'm willing to assume the role of the pastorate and stay here. And together, along with her three kids, they've done an excellent job there. In fact, the church has grown so much, she's been able to leave her job as a teacher and come on full-time at the church. If she was here today, she'd probably tell us the same thing. I'm an unexpected person in an unexpected place, yet through her faithfulness and her obedience, lives in the community are being changed and transformed. There was another widow who we read about in First Kings today. She was in a desperate and a dark situation. Can you imagine how hopeless her life must have seemed just at that moment? She was a Gentile, single mom. She didn't even believe in God. When she looked at Elijah, she didn't say our God. She said your God. Most likely she was a Baal worshiper living in the midst of a famine in the heart of darkness. And she came to the very end of what she had, just collecting a few sticks trying to make a final meal for herself and her son. And in the midst of that, Elijah shows up. Now, I bet as Elijah walked there that day and he saw the situation and what was going on, he probably had a few doubts about the woman's ability to provide for his needs. I wonder if he thought, God, what are you doing? Wasn't there a wealthy family that was an option? A musk, a bezos, a gates, a anybody from the Walton family? Like someone could have helped a little bit better than this woman. But yet he shows up, he sees her gathering the sticks, and he makes this uncommon request. He says, do you have any bread? And the woman's thinking, bread, I don't have any bread. I got a handful of flour, I got a little bit of olive oil, but that's all. And in her mind, she just kept thinking, I can't. 
I don't have the ingredients. I don't have the resources. I don't have a way to be able to do this. I have no money. It's impossible. How can I really help this guy when my son and I have such a great need? I wonder if we've ever fallen into a similar pattern of thinking, I can't help because I don't have enough resources. I can't help right now because I'm not in a stable position financially. I can't help because I just don't have that much to give. Or maybe they got time. I'm just so busy. Life's just so chaotic. We got bills to pay. We got work to do. We got the kids' activities. We got all this stuff going on. I'm just too busy to serve. And so many times in life, we get the gravity, the enormity of the situation around us, and we think we can't do it. Because we can't do everything to resolve that problem, we decide, you know what? I'm just not going to do anything at all. But God doesn't call us to do everything. He just calls us to do our part. And when we're willing and faithful to use what he's placed in our hand, it's incredible the miracle that we can see God do. Amazing thing about God is he's looking for obedience. And when we do that, great things happen. God sends Elijah to this woman, an unexpected person in an unexpected place. And then we get to see his unexpected plan Elijah says, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have. Bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. Come on, somebody. That's pretty bold. Make something first for me and then for yourself and your son. But this was no ordinary person. Just before this, he went in and announced to the king, it's not going to rain for three years. Shortly after this, he walks up to Mount Carmel and he takes on hundreds of prophets of Baal. He challenges them to see which is the true God in Israel. He says, whatever one answers with fire, we're going to know. He's so confident in God's power and his ability that he says, you know what? We're going to take our sacrifice. We're just going to pour on some water, pour on some more water, pour on some more water. How could he be so bold to make a request like this? Because he knew the voice of God. He heard of it before he walked in the king's palace. He had heard it before he took on the prophets of Baal, and he heard it before he traveled to Zarephath. In fact, in verse 9, it says, go to Zarephath. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Even though the plan seemed unlikely, even though the strategy seemed impossible, he was willing to go and make the request because he understood the voice of God. And he knew that if God spoke it, God would make a way. And he did. This unlikely strategy worked. There ended up being enough ingredients, not only for them to eat a piece of bread that day, but supplied their needs until the famine ended. I'm glad there was a widow there that was one to do her part. I wonder, have we ever missed out on seeing a miracle from God just because we weren't willing to do ours? Jill and I nearly did. We had a, a vision from God for hope for Uruguay 100. Plant 100 churches, build 100 churches. And so we started to, to, to do all the things that we thought we needed to do. We formed strategic alliances with, with, with groups that were going to help us to analyze the situation and find the best way to build and the materials and send down an architect to help us come up with plans. And we, we, we found churches that wanted to partner with us financially to be able to help. We found some churches that were even going to send teams down. We had everything lined up, and we picked the optimal time to start this, March of 2020. Anybody remember what happened then? <laughs> Two days before our first team arrived, our borders closed in Uruguay. Churches weren't allowed to meet, schools closed, government, everything just changed then. And so we thought, well, we'll just pause it a couple weeks, you know, until the 
curve flattens, right? We'll just pause this for a short time until we get through it. But things just continue. We said, is it really the best time to launch something of this magnitude when we have so many of these health and financial challenges in the world? And yet, in the midst of it, God just continued to burden our hearts. He said, there's people living in darkness that need me today. And it wasn't something that we could wait to do in the future. And so we decided to move forward. We didn't know how. We lost all 12 of those teams that were scheduled to come. We lost all, all those, uh, many of those resources that were, that, that were supposed to be coming with the, the teams. We, we, we didn't know how we were going to build. We, could, we, we just knew we needed to take that step of faith and see what God would do. How many know God doesn't disappoint? Even when the situation might seem very difficult, even if the strategy might seem unlikely. And I'm here to say that God's been so faithful. 22 new churches built. Miracle after miracle that God did to provide financially for those. Every single one built with local volunteers. And God has done an amazing thing to create a, a, a momentum in Uruguay to plant more churches and to build these sanctuaries. At the very first one, and this was the one that you helped with the offering to build, we went to build it. And we didn't quite know exactly what we're going to do. All we knew was God had given us this audacious strategy to build a church in one week. Six days, actually. And then the seventh day, we were going to do the dedication service. And so I showed up the first day, and I see this guy who I don't know. I've never met him before. I asked him his name. He said, Antonio. I said, Antonio, what are you doing here today? He said, well, my wife goes to this church. He said, I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist, he tells me. But he says, I I'm a retired mason. I love to lay brick, and I heard that you were building, and so I figured I'd come and help for a day. I said, great, you're working with me. And so we started on the wall over here, and we began to build together and began to talk with him a little bit and find out his story. And I realized very quickly, Antonio knew what he was doing. It was good, because I did not know what I was doing. <laughs> At the end of the day, I said, hey, you did a great job. You're such a blessing. Would you consider coming back tomorrow and help us again? And he said yes. And so he came back the next day. And at the end of the second day, I asked him again. He came back the third day and the fourth day. And we got to the end of the week, and he'd been there all day with all week with us. And I said, Antonio, we're going to do a special celebration tomorrow. Would you consider coming to the service? And he said, I'll think about it. But guess who came the next day? Antonio. And not just that, when we gave the altar call, guess who walked down the middle aisle to the front to give his life to Jesus? With him came his kids and his grandkids. And he said, Steve, I want them to come down here and see the decision I was making because all their lives I told them that God doesn't exist. Shortly after, when he was baptized, many of them were baptized with him. And he said, thank you for coming and changing the course of my family history. Now, how many know I didn't change the course of his family history? God did. But I think I know what he meant. Our obedience opens the doors so that lost people have a chance to find Jesus. Our faithfulness opens doors so that people can experience his love and his grace and his forgiveness. And so thank you for helping Antonio and his family come to find Jesus. Thank you for investing in missions, for helping people both in this country and around the world have an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. You share in the reward. You share in the lives that are changed. You share in the church that are planted. And the families are transformed. And the best part is, we get to celebrate together, and God's name is glorified. To wrap up the biblical story today, she ends up making a small loaf of bread for Elijah and her, uh, herself and her son. 
And I'm not quite sure exactly in, in the process when she realized something was happening. Maybe it was when she picked up the, 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 the flour and it felt a little bit heavier. Maybe when she grabbed the, the, the jar of oil and a little bit more sloshed out as she began to pour it out. But somewhere along the way, she realized that even though she used what was in there, there was more. Somewhere along the way, she realized even though she made these pieces of bread, there were still more ingredients there. And a smile came across her face, not because she had more there, but because she realized that there was a God who loved her cared about her and her family. God didn't send Elijah there just so that he could have a piece of bread. God sent Elijah there because he wanted her to realize that he loved her, that he cared about her, that he had a plan and a purpose for her life. And the story ends like this. She did as Elijah told her, and there's food every day for Elijah, for the woman and her family. The jar of flour was not used up. The jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word the Lord spoken by Elijah. I love it. In spite of any doubt she had, she was willing to give, not out of her abundance, but out of her lack. And a completely unexpected result occurred. Her obedience and her generosity opened the door to the miraculous. An unexpected person, in an unexpected place, in an unexpected way was obedient. And God did an unexpected miracle. Aren't you glad that we serve a God like that? We take a seemingly impossible situation and bring about good and reveal his love to her along the way. And the beautiful thing about God is this. He invites us to be part of that mission. He invites us to be part of his plan. To go, to give, to pray, to serve, and most importantly, to share with our family, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, and our classmates. Because there's some people living in darkness that need to hear his good news. The question is this, are we willing to say yes? Are we willing to do our part? Are we willing to pray, to give, to go, and to share? And when we do that, incredible things happen. God wants to use you. He wants to use me. Unexpected people in unexpected places to do unexpected things. And when we do that, we can trust him. We're going to see some miracles, some changed lives along the way. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your goodness and your faithfulness. So thankful that we can look to your word and be reminded that even if we are in a hopeless and a desperate situation, God, we can look to you. We can cry out to you. You are our help. You are our provision. You are our source of salvation and strength. God, we pray that you would give us some opportunities in the next few days and weeks to share that same love with those around us. God, give us some divine connections and opportunities with family members, friends, neighbors, coworkers, and classmates that need a relationship with you. Let your Holy Spirit speak through us with the right words. God, let it fall on good soil so we would see them respond as well. Continue to bless this church. Use it to have a greater influence and impact in this community. Use them in mighty ways, Lord God, so that more lives can be changed, more families transformed. And one more time, all the angels and saints in heaven can rejoice because someone that once was lost is now found.